Ladies and gentlemen, the spring break bonanza is still alive and in effect. It is your boy, Sammy Gilstrap. <laughs> That's how we do the damn thing here at the Ghost Lights Podcast. You already know what's happening. We've got the opening theme music is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please buy their music and tell them I sent you so they don't sue me. Also, in the house, as the spring break bonanza continues, it evolves. Last night we did a double header. I decided we're just going to do two people that are amazing at the same damn time. Boom. It is Lauren Bauman, Jessica Ostigen. I pronounced the names right? Close. Kind of. Close. Dang it. Help me. Austin. Austin. Yeah, it rhymes with exhaustion, which is a really, really shitty way to remember my name. But it's the same sound, so... Perfect. There you go. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I, I and you got mine, it. but that's only because I've drilled it into your brain yes. long enough over the years. And Definitely. it has the word balls in it. And it has balls in it. Balls. Also, you go by Baus? Boss. Mm-hmm. Boss. Okay. As in, who's the... Boss. Just spelled differently. Nice. It was a we 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 wanted to come up with a clever improv name, so we just mashed our two last names together. Which is less clever and more confusing because nobody can pronounce it. <laughs> but always, we like it. I've always assumed it was boss, but I've always pronounced it with the the hip hop like like a bouse. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. that makes us sound a lot cooler than we are. Well, you kind of are. Like things are happening with you guys like all the time. You ladies. We're pretty amazing at overcommitting to things and keeping our schedule super busy. So we're always doing shit. But um, I call Jess up and I'm like, hey, are our schedules completely opposite right now? Okay, great. Let's take on several projects. Let's book at least three projects together yes. and do it at 3 a.m. while we're both tired and grumpy. Sounds hey, good. There you go. I mean, that's what coffee is for mm-hmm. and um, speed. Yes. Yeah, it gets you through. Haven't quite gotten to the speed phase yet. I'm sure we're almost oh, there. Man. When you get there, let me know because I got a guy. Who's it's pretty sweet. Out. Let yeah. it ride. His name is Rory. Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, great. Definitely. Good to know. Anyway, so we are here doing a, a, a cross-pollination, if you will. Mm-hmm. Required Readcast is the new podcast. Correct. Walk me through it. What is it exultly? So Lauren and I have known each other for several years mm-hmm. and started improvising together on a random team and found out pretty quickly that we were both big book nerds. Okay. So it's We've always had a literary bent. We've always talked about things that we're reading. When we would jump into improv scenes together, they almost went period and style <laughs> mm-hmm. and went um, almost in the form of a book. Nice. So we were, were like, well, how do we... And then we moved to a team called Jane's Addiction Improvised Jane Austen together. Mm-hmm. So we were just doing Jane Austen improv. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, what do we do that's just us? Because from the second I started playing with Lauren, I loved performing with her. Mm-hmm. Like, when I say playing, I mean improvising. Yeah. Um, we do long-form long form improv together. We meet at the playground. Mm-hmm. And Go just on the swing. Play tag. Do me a tag. No, um, it's true. And I felt the same. Jess is my improv soulmate. Mm-hmm. Improv lobster. <laughs> She's her lobster. <laughs> Take that old friends joke, make it about improv. Doing it. Yeah, and when we started Boss, um, we wanted to kind of create our own form, and we did in something we call book club, which mm-hmm. is uh, we get a suggestion from the audience about a title of a book that hasn't been written, and we cut back and forth between um, that book and then the two people who are reading the book. It's gotten a little more loosey-goosey mm-hmm. over the years, but that's essentially still the form. So we were already improvising in a literary style. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love about this, too, is that it lets us play with genre and style that we're like, oh, the title we got from the audience is the, the communist cookbook. And so yeah. we create, we're like, all right, great. We're going to make it this weird Russian Dostoevsky-esque thingy. Um, I think that was that set. That was but, a legitimate 
It was uh, legitimate suggestion. suggestion. Legi- I think one of us got run over by a train at some point, probably. <laughs> but it lets us play with genre and style and heightened reality. But then mm. also, on the other side, the people who are reading the book lets us play with more grounded characters and relationship. Mm. So it gives us a nice center line between huge fantastical choices that border on unreality and then grounded characters with relationship, which are my two favorite ways to improvise. Yeah. And now they're in a scene together. Wow. So we just kind of mashed that all together and made it our jam. Mm-hmm. But we had been talking since like, I think it was when we went to Omaha last summer or last May, we What's started. Omaha? Oh, we went to the Omaha Improv Festival. Somebody asked me about that yesterday. I don't know, and I don't know what else is in Omaha. Bats. Somebody's like, what did you see in Omaha? And Lauren and I saw bats. (laughs) (laughs) So we're walking in downtown Omaha. We did our set, and we're like, well, our show's over. We just drove eight hours, and we're here for like two more days. What the fuck are we going to do? So we're wandering down the street, which Omaha is not a bustling city. At all. We were in downtown, and I swear I saw about eight people. (laughs) It was just quiet. But we looked up, and there's a big spotlight off the top of this building, and there are flying winged creatures around it at night, Sam. So... How long do you think? How long did we stare at that building trying to figure out what those were? Uh, we're like, are those really big moths? Are they birds? Are they are tiny night- birds? Are they nighttime tiny birds? Was that a man brooding next to them? What was he doing? It was quite a while, like, and then then we decided they were bats. And we realized they were bats. That's what nighttime t- flying things are. Bats. Exactly. So there was an improv festival in bats in Omaha. That is. That is that is that is reason enough to go right now. Well, then what was funny Get was your bus ticket, everybody. No, and yeah. we did. We went to the car- We went to karaoke right after because what else are you gonna do in Omaha? And we were saying something about it, and like one of the locals who was at the bar was like, "Oh yeah, those are the bats. They uh they uh fly around up there. Like it was like a, just a known thing." Yeah. Yep. Very well. Come for the steak and uh, come for the bats. Mm. Uh, but well, anyway, we're... while we were while we were on the road, we were talking a lot about uh, Jess and I are both big fans of podcasts just in general. Mm. We we tend to we like my favorite murder, for example, is one that we both love. Yeah. And uh, we just started talking about like, hey, I'd like to do a podcast. Hey, that would be fun. And uh, just started throwing ideas out there. And then it took took a few months, but we finally mm-hmm. in December of last year recorded our first episode well and one thing we were trying to do is like there's so many improv podcasts that are yes. improvisers talking about improv or improvisers improvising mm-hmm. and we're like well we could do that but what is something else because i feel like we were if lauren and i were just to talk about improv all the time it would get a little bit tiresome we'd probably wear out yeah. what our audience mm-hmm. is too well, that's totally. a very limited <laughs> yeah group of people who are going to want yeah. to sit and listen to two improvisers talk about improv Except for the improv nerds out there. True, and they'll they'll get, they'll take all they can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They're dorks for it. But we're like, well, everybody had to read these for the Mm -hmm. most part. So we were were doing the required reading that you had to do in school Mm -hmm. or that most people did in their lives at some point. Mm -hmm. We kind of crowdsourced all our info from Facebook. We're like, hey, what books did you have to read? And then the thread blew up. Yeah, and it's been cool. We just recorded, uh, right before you got here, we just recorded our sixth one. Gatsby. Yes. About Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Um, but yeah, we started with the outsiders and, um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's been a mm-hmm. lot of fun. Well, and one thing that's fun too is just, we're theater nerds. Most people are, are our friends are theater nerds. Mm-hmm. So there's always an incorporation of, was it a stage play? When did you have to be in it? Like, it seems like somebody's had to have been in an adaptation of everything that we've done. Oh, and for your enjoyment, we also try to find a way, uh, was it ever referenced on The Simpsons? Ah, mm-hmm. yes. And, uh, most times it was. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
Yeah, most most books. What's your favorite example that you've encountered this far? Well, today we're prep we were prepping the Crucible. Mm. We didn't quite get to recording it, so we'll get to record it soon. The but Crucible that, one's real good. The Easy Bake Coven <laughs> Halloween tr- Treehouse of Horror, <laughs> where the uh, Bible says a lot of things. Shover boys, like <laughs> it's just it's, it's, the, it's the Crucible reference Salem witch trials and bring every- up Goody Bad Wife. We killed her yesterday. Oh God, we were laughing and laughing. Uh, yeah, but another one that. We probably want to read Lord of the Flies solely so we can cover like the Lord of the Flies um, I episode just fell of the over and have the curling ball. And that, that just came up on Instagram today. We're just like, yeah, yeah. We'll no. live like kings. Hell damn, ass kings. <laughs> it tastes like burning. <laughs> like that one just has so many great lines that we'll probably only talk for a half hour and we'll just put that whole episode that's, on our. That's Isn't all that you need. episode titled Dust Bus? <laughs> I think so. I think so, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> That's one of the things just on, on the Simpsons tangent that I was almost positive would happen, and I'm thankful that it is. Of course. Start it now. We were just waiting to get it it's in there. It's really, it, like, the, when, when South Park did the whole Simpsons did it, and that, that opened my brain, I'm like, holy Christ, they have done absolutely everything. Well, and they've been around for so long, and they're so culturally, like, they're so into the pop culture that mm-hmm. the references, like, I feel like they were referencing things before yeah. any other shows thought to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it, it, but... And not like a deliberate cutaway Family Mm-mm. Guy. Like, <laughs> right. I love Family Guy, but even they know that it's just the, here's the send up, here's the deliberate cutaway, mm-hmm. and here's the veiled or sometimes not veiled reference to something, whether it's real or not. But like with The Simpsons, it was always like a part of the storyline. And if you weren't paying attention, you could totally miss it. Well, and they some of them are really smart. Like the one we had for um, Romeo and Juliet, was when Mill is Millhouse when he's <laughs> when he's dating that chick and and her dad finds out and makes him leave her we leave. It started out like Romeo and Juliet, but it ended up in tragedy. <laughs> I, I'm so, working on my Millhouse. It's not there yet, but I'm working on it. I'll okay. have it in about a year. You'll get there, Point Dexter. <laughs> but I'm all Millhouse. <laughs> hey, the dud looks like you, Point Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> That's another such a good episode. Summer of four oh, foot three. Oh yeah. From fifty. Oh god, that, that was one. Really good. Lisa's oh. cool for like a second until mm-hmm. Bart ruins it. Yeah. That's so funny. But yeah, so basically, like if Jess and I could find a way to uh, tie our love of books and The Simpsons and just the fact that we like to shoot the shit with each other into one thing, I think we found it. Mm-hmm. We're not good at pulling quotes. We're not good at like literary criticism. Mm-hmm. But we're great at talking shit about all the characters we hate. Yeah. That's- that's We're gonna give you, a, you a little mm-hmm. bit more of a like keeping it real uh, criticism. I like it. Right. Keeping it real with the great gas. <laughs> mm, how can you go wrong? I mean, that, you can't. But it sounds like it requires even on that level, like a lot of homework. Well, we do still have to read the books. Yeah. And we do, yeah, and a lot of them are things that. Well, I don't know. Most of them. Most of them are ones that either of us have, have read. read. Sometimes both of us, like I had to jump the on the Gatsby train today because I hadn't read it. Mm. The only one both of us hadn't read yet was The Giver, but that was pretty short. Yeah. But yeah, there, there, there's. We do do our home. We do do our homework. Mm-hmm. I'm um, just trying to get Lauren but, to read Les Miserables, and she won't. I don't know why. I thought it's you not, didn't want to do Les Miserables. I always wanted. I to thought do, that was the. Whole I thing. didn't want to ask you to read a book that long. Oh, you guys. Do you know how long that book is? I know. So we could do a chapter. It's 365 chapters. So I'm just saying, if we wanted to do a mini-podcast every single day. How about 
Can I say that I'll start it now in hopes that we can do it over the summer? Yes. Because <laughs> I do need to write. I can't believe I've been friends with Jessica this long and have never read Les Miserables. Well, I know you, the musical really, really well. You but... almost attacked her for not seeing Eternal Spotlight. Sunshine. So mm-hmm. the whatever mind. Well, that's just me overreacting for no reason. You, you haven't seen over. this? Oh like it's the God. most important thing ever. It's just a good movie. It's really important. No, but I will. No, I I vow on Sam Gilstrap's podcast. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> to read Les Miserables. She said she'd do it. I did. If we, Not get, to, if we get to my birthday and it hasn't happened, someone's getting fired. Oh, Uh-oh. when's your birthday? September 1st. Oh, okay. No, that's... Okay, it'll happen. Yeah. Well, they're doing the BBC miniseries, so read it before they do that. We want to kind of try to tie it in with that. Don't watch it on TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, after you do Les Mis, you should do Lonesome Dove, because that's another four million pages. Was that required? I read it. My mom yelled at me until I read it, so it was Mm -hmm. required to me. A lot of people read that, but I don't know if they read read it for school. Mm -mm. But I I loved that book mm-hmm. and then in the miniseries Ricky i remember Shredder. when the miniseries was on so yes I remember mm-hmm. parts of the miniseries yeah. then he went to, <laughs> then he became a cop in new york and what's ricky schroeder doing these days i'm think i'm thinking he's like directing softcore porn let's give him a call mm-hmm. let's find him yeah I'm hey, sure. Ricky. yeah hey come on, the, come on the podcast sir we got he's, some questions ricky schroeder if you're around uh please we come on down is Sipowitz really really that ugly yeah, he is. Is NYPD Blue still a thing? No, not anymore. Unless you like watch like TV Land reruns. Oh, God, it's made it to TV Land. I'm That's sure. when you know something's gotten old. Yeah. When Friends reruns started showing up on Nick at Night, I was like, wow, I'm depressed. Oh, man. Did you see the big topic on the internet right now is which friend would have been a Trump supporter? Oh, for fuck's and sake. And I won't engage in that conversation. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> I haven't read any article, but it's trending headlines like, which friend would have voted for Trump? And well, you're like, totally would have been Phoebe. You think it would have been Phoebe? Yeah. I think it would have been Joey. Because oh. he's too dumb. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> no, I, agree. I think, well, Phoebe, I just think would, I, think, I don't know, she'd get latched into some some crazy hook. <laughs> she does fall for things. Like she would like, oh man, that sounds like a great idea, building a wall. I could paint <laughs> on it and write a song about it and she'd be all about that. And then, and then, and then all... the rest of the friends would hate her. I've been, um, speaking of that kind of stuff and TV shows being Trump supporters, I've been really, I watched you the beginning did? of Roseanne. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm hearing this is, it gets terrible. Like for this time period, it's not. Well, here's the thing. Go ahead. Dive in. I actually, I was like, everybody's yelling about this mm-hmm. and they haven't necessarily watched it yet. I'm going to watch it. Mm-hmm. The episodes actually weren't bad. But what's dangerous, I think about it is, is she herself. A lot of the things she says and does in her personal life, because mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. on the show, like they weren't preaching it, and in fact, I feel like they were showing both viewpoints. Um, and you can and see there's like, some really progressive things that mm-hmm. are happening on that show, like Jack, like what's her name, Darlene has a younger son who's like um, pretty likes gay. to dress like a girl yeah. and is gay, and like the mm-hmm. way that they dealt with all of that was really great. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, you can see it's it's interesting. Like I watched the same. Like, I watched the part of the. I think the second episode and John Goodman, who comes back to life, it's, I, I, I'm just pissed that. off. Now I'm just pissed off because they did that. And they it wrote sound completely like they wrote it. it off. Yeah, but it does bring up to me like, what do you think about separating the artist from their beliefs? Like, mm. I feel like that's a really big topic lately, especially in things with the Me Too movement. 
Like you look at someone like Kevin Spacey, like do I now do I now hate Kevin Spacey's movies because I learned something about Kevin Spacey that I don't like? It definitely makes it harder for me to watch them like objectively. Mm-hmm. Like to just sit there and be entertained. Like I can't like I me and Seinfeld always had a love hate relationship. <laughs> like, it would, it would, like there were moments where like, oh I can really get into this, there's nothing going on kind of humor. And then there were things that were just like just so blatantly stupid or blatantly wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I I felt the the port the, the the Puerto Rican oh. Independence Day episode or whatever. I can't the celebration. Was yeah, that like, was a little mm-hmm. tone deaf like, even for like, that time period. I was like, come on, man! And then then when when Kramer went <sighs> went off well, that. the rails. But even then, like, okay, so Michael Richards did something really really stupid. Yeah. Do I now like have to look back on his former work and not like it anymore? Am I still allowed to laugh at some dumb shit he did on Seinfeld? Like, I, f- I feel like that's a question that's been buzzing in my mind yeah. a lot lately of, like, how do we separate the artists themselves and their personal life from the work that they do? I think, as if you look now, like, there really isn't that much separation between art and artist mm-hmm. because everyone's details are so exposed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the... I look at artists or performers who keep their personal life very personal and I think maybe they're allowed to have separation between art and artist because they're more interested in being an artist than being a celebrity where mm. everything's exposed. Mm-hmm. But and but unfortunately I would say Kevin Spacey would fall into that category mm-hmm. because he was notoriously private. Mm-hmm. And when that privacy was broken open we realized he was a shitty person yeah. and art versus artist his art kind of got thrown out yeah. because I don't want to watch him on House of Cards, knowing that that's the behavior yeah. he yeah. engages yeah. in. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, the prepping today, because we were going to talk about Crucible on our podcast, which yeah. we didn't get to, but prepping, I was looking a lot at um, the House, wait, H-A-U-C, American Activity, H-U-A-C. 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 Yeah. Um, and the people who did testify, like Aaliyah mm. Kazan testified and named names. And for me, that makes me look at his original production of All My Sons, mm-hmm. which I'm in a production of, and go, guh, you were shitty to Arthur Miller. Suddenly I have reservations about you, director who is long dead. Um, so I think it might be impossible to separate art from artist at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, especially, one of the things I feel like what we can touch on here is this, because there is, even for a private artist, if you've got a Facebook account or an Instagram mm-hmm. account or so on and so forth, if you tweet, like I heard, I'm, I'm taking this advanced auditioning class, and you, if, if you're in, in New York, they like it if you're tweeting at least five times a day. Yeah. That's people, a new thing? Yeah. People with a lot of social media followers have an edge up in the audition room. Yeah. They, they were talking about it. Oh my God. It. And then, and then I'm old. I will tell you off the air. <laughs> it, made me really, it made me really sad because like, I'm a guy that wants to promote my podcast mm-hmm. and the selfie that I'm about to take with my bed pizza. Like, I, I live a very... That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not a life you want to promote five times I don't times know, man. Bed pizzas but are Sam, pretty nice. But that could be... that. Like that, Everybody has their brand. Yeah. And I'm sorry, bed pizza sounds really amazing. And it I was does. like, do I need to incorporate that into my brand? Do you have a TV in your bedroom? I should get one. You should get a TV in your bedroom mm-hmm. and provide a pizza on top <laughs> mm-hmm. of yourself. And you don't have to share it. That's all I'm saying. You mm-hmm. sound like... You but know, you could. You could. That's an old Mike, Mike Berbiglia joke. Yeah. Where he talks about that if he could have a pizza made into like one of those sleep pillows that you wrap around your neck so that yeah. he could just eat the pizza as he falls asleep, he totally would. Totally. I'm like, I would get down on a pizza sleep pillow. Mm. They're the best. I saw a, a, a GIF 
it's a gif where a guy like wrapped himself in a pizza. Like it's just like he's sitting there on the blanket and then he pulls up one side and the other side and it's like, Oh, it's actually a pizza. They they CGI'd a pizza into the blanket. And I thought, <laughs> That is amazing. I'd wrap myself mm-hmm. in pizza. I do take yeah. I think I take issue with that though, but it also that bed might, pizza? No, not bed pizza. <laughs> okay. uh, bed pizza I take no issue with. Quick, other than I don't have any in my mouth. Does everyone here approve of bed pizza? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Okay, good. I, I, move I, on. Our turn. Okay. Yeah, my dog does too. Um, no, I... So I lived in New York for a while, and I was never... I'm just not very good in general about... I'm not a big networker. Like, mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, Lauren being Lauren and, like, in a crowd of people, I'm just not great, nor do I really like just being like, hey, this is me, and this is what I'm all about. Totally. So, if that's a new thing, like, I would fail at that because I, I'm not into social media as self-promotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, for me, I'm, like, my best example is when I, when we did opening night for Waiting for Godot, I'm, I, we come out and there's all these people there and all these people that are important. It's a big opportunity for me. It's a of big course. night. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm really excited about that, but the only thing I can do is wear my loud colored suit go to the far corner by the trash can by the glass wall and eat my food and drink my free drink. And and if people want to come up and talk to me, that's awesome. But I, I, I'm arrogant enough in certain circles when people get to know me or if I'm way up my own ass in a rehearsal process <laughs> and I think I got all the answers. Like I can, I, I know where my, my shit comes out. But in those crowds, no, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the game speak for itself and then go about my day as best I can, unless I'm, you know, with friends and I've had more than a couple of scotches. Yeah, but no, it's I'm hard. similar. I've, I'm like, if you, if you, if what you just saw impressed you enough that you like my work enough to come talk mm-hmm. to me, yeah, then that would be great. But I am not very good at drawing people to me, <laughs> just as me being Lauren, I guess. I, I might, I might update my cover photo if I've got a good one emailed to me for the show. Show I'm involved in. I don't know, though. We're sitting here at Jessica, though, who I feel like knows everybody. No, I don't. <laughs> my husband knows everybody. That's true. Let, let me be clear on that. Um, listeners, my husband is Jeffrey Kent. G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y is how you spell his first name. We are married. And people know him and people like him more than me. I think that if we're... I disagree. No, I'm, I'm definitely the quieter one. Like, oh, I wish I was at home in sweats. Bed pizza. Bed pizza. I wish I was eating my bed pizza and sending pics to Sam. Yeah. Um, this is why we're a hoot when we go to uh, festivals together. We just Because <laughs> we both are just eating pizza in a corner. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Because you know you have to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know you have to go say the hellos mm-hmm. and do the nice thing. And it's hard. Yeah. It sucks. I, my acting coach, um, Sheila, told me that like if they hang around afterwards and they want like the audience, mm-hmm. generally, if they hang out afterwards... That means you did something right, and if they want to talk to you specifically, you should be open for that. Mm-hmm. And I am absolutely open for that. But I don't go out there in my loud suits mm-hmm. <laughs> seeking out your praise. Right. Or do you have a thank you to give me? Please, like, I, that's not what I do. Like, Please I come tell me how great I was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's... Well, anyway. so were you, because I, I can't, I legit can't remember, because mm. I have an anecdote about this in a sec. Were you at opening night of Sense? Did I see you this year? No. Okay. Because I stayed in the theater, the party was happening. Mm-hmm. Let, 
let me let me tell you for a second. Take, take us on a ride. My my opening night of Sense and Sensibility playing at the Arvada Center through May sixth. Uh, you can't come see it because it's sold out apparently. Well, that's awesome sauce. Yeah. Um, but no thanks to me on opening because on opening night um, I have a moment. Have you seen the show at all? I have seen a version of Sense and Sensibility, okay. but not yours. Our version of the show um, is I, I, great. Is fun. <laughs> I have a moment where I have a moment of physical combat with myself. And in the op- on opening night, we'd been tweaking it all week, and we didn't fight call it with Kate Gleason there. So we had changed a bit where of hitting myself in the face and turning. Mm-hmm. So on opening, I step on Kate Gleason, and I fucking fall on her. I land on my ass on Kate Gleason. <laughs> and all night, I'm like, Jess... The pinnacle of your performance. You have to get that fight right. You have to get that fight right. Mm. You've been working. This is your moment in the show. Do not fuck it up. And I fucked it up so hard that I (laughs) fell on my co-star who has been on Broadway. And I landed (laughs) on her. And then I picked myself up and kept hitting myself in the face until I was off stage. And I was like, no! So I was just like shattered. Because you have one goddamn job to do. And that's deliver that fight. And I didn't deliver it. So I stayed in the theater. Stayed in the dressing room, sad. And then I went to the theater and hid in the theater for a little bit. And then one of the lovely ladies who uh, was on the facilities crew at the Arvada Center was like, what are you doing? Mm. Didn't you have a play tonight? And I was like, yes, it did not go well. And she was like, go to the party. So the, the woman from facilities management was like, get out of the theater, stop being a baby, and go mingle. And I was just like deer in headlights, miserable face, hiding because like I had fallen on Kate. <laughs> so like those I can't socialize yeah. they're so hard it's it, it, just talking to people in general as a person has gotten so difficult mm-hmm. and when you add on the fact that it, even as I would say correct me if I'm wrong because you do a lot of improvising I would find improvising improvisers struggle as well because their art is so meticulous mm-hmm. like there's so mm-hmm. many so you got to give so much time uh, and work on self and the material or just working on being present as an improviser and, and studying the Herald and the ins and outs and having all the homework done so you mm-hmm. can take it on a ride. Like, we were talking about a friend of ours who does musical improv. That freaks me out <laughs> because how do you come up with a musical on the fly? Yeah. I, it, so, but you have to develop so much time in those, these dark, quiet hours and you finally get a good beat on yourself, and then you come out there, and then you've got to, like, there's a normal person that exists in front of people. <laughs> like, I don't, and this is as normal as I get. Like, I understand everything that happens mm-hmm. with the podcast. I want to hear my voice, so I've got a rec- mic. <laughs> I like the way I sound. This is where I get the, I'm going to get really loud and wild here. I've got a, I got a damn horn, because... There it is! Because I'm awesome. Because the horn is awesome. Yeah, but then I go home and bed pizza with Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's weird. It's hard to talk to people. Yeah. Well, and I really like the, hey, great job in your show. Like, if I'm talking to Lauren after a show, mm-hmm. great job in your show. I really like this. That person is like, thank you so much for coming. And then either we stop having that conversation yeah. because I don't know her that well and I have no right to monopolize her opening night mm-hmm. or we move on to something else. Like, yeah. hey, tell me, how's your dog doing? Yeah. Like, I... Isn't, isn't that the hardest conversation to go from when you're like, hey, Jess, 
What's new? What, what do you got coming up next? Yeah. Well, and that's the that's thing the us actors love to yep. ask each other over yeah. and over, and we all hate that question, and we all ask it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, our, that's as far as our friendship goes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got this lined up? Fantastic. Let me tell you about what I've got lined up. Now that I've done that, I'll go to the bar. Yeah, yeah what did we... We kind of run into each other. We run down our resume, mm-hmm. and then we go exactly. separate, separate ways. It's we really should just silly. stop talking to people and just hand out our resumes mm-hmm. and headshots. Mm-hmm. This is me right now. There you go. Boom. Yep. This is me now. Enjoy. But going back to I think what got us on this, it, I, to answer your question earlier, I think it is extremely difficult now more than ever because we have such access to all of our favorite artists. Even if they don't put it out there, there are people. Like, paparazzi create... Instagram pages for their photos of celebrities. Yeah. And they can It's wild. And and so everything is available. And if at any point in time they do something wrong, they say the wrong thing, they tweet the wrong thing, Mm -hmm. it we get an idea of who that person is. And for like the for the for Roseanne, she's playing such a hard character to love, and she has presented herself since as long as I can be, remember as somebody that is not easy to love and support all the time. Mm-hmm, right. Like, Roseanne Barr, like, for me, it's like, I don't want to see her on TV getting promoted. Well, something else that is that ideal. troublesome about that is that, you know, in the entertainment industry, people work with people, and there are stars and there are plebes. Mm-hmm. And I have enough connections and. LA improv with the plebs, not the stars, <laughs> that I have crossed paths with some folks who have worked with that woman mm-hmm. and who have said that it was hard. Um, they're not, they're, their stories are not my stories to tell, mm-hmm. but they were colorful enough to make me go, I, don't, I would never want to work in that environment yeah. with someone like that, so why should I give you half an hour of my time when right. I could be listening to a podcast made mm-hmm. by a friend mm-hmm. or watching Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency yeah. <laughs> on BBC America? Which I just learned about today, so go watch Go watch it. I'm going to. Yeah. No, it's true. Our our time is one of our most precious commodities. I really believe that. So why allocate it to people who um, don't deserve it? Yeah. That means you, Roseanne. Yeah. Well, back in the day when the show was on, we didn't have options. Like no. the ABC, NBC, CBS, maybe Fox if you were feeling edgy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember when Fox was the edgy station. Yeah, they had married with children in The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Fox turned into such a hardcore sex channel so gradually, I barely noticed. (laughs) They still have The Simpsons. Yes, they do. (laughs) Because our time is so important, if we... we, I'm going to backtrack, because you've already said that. What I wanted to say is there was a reason why after her first run of the show Mm -hmm. stopped, she wasn't in the limelight getting a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just because she was making choices to stop. I believe that the people who keep getting work do just enough kindness to keep getting mm-hmm. work. Like, they're just kind enough. And yeah. I feel like some of them, their talent, like Kevin Spacey, I would, would, for example, I think his talent in a lot of areas tr- oh, superseded <laughs> superseded his douchebaggery. Mm-hmm. And um, I th- if, you can't, if you can't manage that, if you're going to be a douchebag when you get to the top, if you're going to be a douchebag when you get into your first community theater thing, listen, honey, it's going to catch up and it's going to stop. Like, eventually people will wise up and they'll stop you. And I was hopeful that it would stop with this particular actress. It's, 
it's frustrating that we live in a world that we can't come up with new ideas, so let's rehash garbage. <laughs> well, and there was an audience for it, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Oh, I know. And at the time, it was... But that was for a completely different generation, watching... Like, I, I don't find that millennials were sitting there going like, God, you know what I wish I had back... I wish I had the Roseanne show. Well, Everybody now they want to bring back Murphy Brown, too, so apparently that's just we the new no thing. We have no new ideas. No. Well, and things have their time and their place. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at, theatrically, if you look at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Oklahoma at that time was groundbreaking because it advanced narrative through song. Yeah. That didn't happen. Holy shit, Oklahoma, Oklahoma groundbreaking musical? Yeah. In 2018, we're like, what? Yeah. Aren't they doing it? Yes, it? but now a lot of productions of Oklahoma are not deconstructing, but messing with it. Um, th- I think there's a production going on, I can't remember where, with some same-sex couples Ooh. and yeah. playing with that. So how do you reinvent something that was seminal at one point? But is Roseanne reinventing or is it just rehashing something whose time has passed? Yeah, it, it, it makes me feel like the, the two main reasons to watch that show is the married couple, mm-hmm. um, John Goodman and Roseanne Barr together, watching them try and fumble their way through 2018. Mm-hmm. And that what, why I liked the portion that I saw, and that's the thing that sucks. Like John Goodman's a good actor. Oh yeah, and he's worked at it John after Goodman. that show. And ha- watching him like try and pick his words wisely with his daughter about what's going to happen to his son, her her son mm-hmm. when he goes to school shows a man that probably a understands a a different time period, thinking that that still persists because mm-hmm. he's not in schools anymore, not elementary, not middle schools anymore. And trying to like explain it to his daughter without sounding like an uneducated monster. Right. And sorry, I put my gun back in my mouth. <laughs> um, they, it's your podcast. You're it allowed to do podcast. whatever you want. But it's um that, that that was interesting to see, and that and there's there I think there was an audience for that. Like I would love to give John Goodman a show. But then I'm gonna admit something right now mm. along these same lines. I have been really enjoying the new Will and Grace episodes. Have you been? And that's not something I thought I would say. And I didn't want that to come back for all the same reasons. I was like, why are they doing this? Mm -hmm. They had their run, everything. And then I had a night where I didn't have a lot going on. And I was like, oh, there's a few of these. I'll watch one. And what I love about it is I am, because I've been in theater so long, I love when I can see a group of people who have so much history that are just enjoying like each other's company again. Mm-hmm. I felt that way with like the Wet Hot American Summer reboots. Oh, yeah. Like when it's a group of actors who you can tell work together for so long, they know each other's ins and outs. Um, Literally and figuratively. And yeah, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but with like the Will and Grace cast, I feel like the four of them, and it takes like an it takes like an episode. They're a little rusty in the mm-hmm. beginning, but then they just fall right back into mm-hmm. this rhythm that they had, and it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch of these four performers who haven't worked together for what fifteen years, and now they're back, and it's like it's like they just started shooting again. And I've actually so I've been enjoying those because of that reason. I think is a big reason I like that. That is that's the thing that makes like. For you guys, is a great example with your with your improv. Like you, a lot of what flies for you is the relationship, the connection, the the shared knowledge that you all have. Mm-hmm. Well, and that yeah. plays, and the audiences love that. If we can see you guys having fun up there or on the screen, then we're gonna have fun too. Well, and I think that's a big reason why I say 
like not to get too mushy right now about my love for Jessica and performing with her. But that was something, that's something that you can't create or manufacture, but it's something you always want to have is just that connection with somebody you're performing with that isn't, you can't, like you can't wrap words even around it, but it's just, there's something there that you know that, that you and that person are on the same page. Absolutely. And like we're at a point now where we don't rehearse very often. We don't like our rehearsal and our pre-show is us like just talking with each other and like getting in the same rhythm, getting jokey, dicking around, mm-hmm. just picking um, up the rhythm. Yeah, and I love, but I love that. Like, and I, it's such it's such a joy when you can find that with people you perform with because that chemistry mm-hmm. and that connection is so important and it makes for better work. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's so. There's two sides to our improv and theatery bits. Like I, because I bet you two have had the same experience in a show, maybe two shows, maybe three shows, mm-hmm. but these aren't always regular. The shows where everything's magical, yeah. mm-hmm. where for some reason you have an ensemble of twelve and everyone is amazing mm-hmm. and everyone you gets along, gets and along, and you're like, how did this happen? We're we're so in love with each other, mm-hmm. and we know we're, we're grateful because we get to do it for five weeks of a run, mm-hmm. but then it's done. And unless somebody revives that production of I don't whatever, mm-hmm. you don't get that back. And there's probably like if it was the three of us, how slim would the chances be that we, the three of us would be cast in a show again together? Right. Yeah. Like it's so rare. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. But then on the other side of it, what I love so much about improv is that when you find your person, we don't just have to do a two woman show that's going to run for five weeks. It's like we can play with each other for as long as we want to. We can to. create whatever we want. Yeah. And it will never end. It will never be the same in the same way that amazing production of Much Ado About Nothing Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. was laid out and the, the audience saw the same thing every time they came. Yeah. So it's a weird double sided coin. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, yeah. And I think, and that is another thing that we shared. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jess and I both have a similar acting background like we're both we were we were both actors first before becoming Mm -hmm. improvisers and so I think that that's a commonality that's helped us a lot is and especially with like our choices with character work and stuff that's something we both really Mm -hmm. love and I think that comes from an acting place because it amazes me I told her I feel like I really want to at some point get some sort of workshop or something together it amazes me how I keep hearing over and over how many actors I know that are terrified of improv Mm -hmm. and how many improvisers I know that are like, I don't know anything about acting I and I wish I act. did. And you're like, yeah, you can. And I'm like, you're doing it right now, though. Yeah. What do you and feel about improv? Sam? Yeah. Um, I, the last time I got did improv was about four weeks ago on a very sad Friday. Oh. And, I got, and I was drunk and I showed up at the Voodoo Comedy Lounge and the first huh. guys that went up... <laughs> The first guys who went up, like, took volunteers to participate. Uh, yeah. So, like, of course, the actor, like, yeah, let's You volunteered as tribute. I got it. I got two PBRs in me and a whole bunch of shots from another place. Let's oh, roll. Yeah. Let's roll. <laughs> and I got up there and, like, I sat and I sobered up really quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. You need a completely different brain right now. Because my brain is really good. And we talked about this before we even started recording today. About self-editing on the fly. Nice. And so like, wait, no, that's oh, not funny. Yeah. Don't ask that question. Stop here. Um, unclench your ass. That's what always happens. <laughs> Just that. That is time. the first rule of improv. The first unclench your ass. Mm-hmm. And don't Del bleed energy. wrote a whole book about that. Nice. Yeah, it's like a great 10 chapter. Anyway. So I, I got up there and... I realized, like, I'm, I can't steer this any particular way. They've already created a deli, a delicatessen, but there's no one making the sandwiches. I'm going to make the sandwiches. <laughs> there yes. you go. So I jump in and do the sandwiches, and then I got shot. 
And then I, I just like, not like this, like, cause I didn't want the night to be over. No. So I just rolled off the stage and I realized that after I was shot, all the other improvisers left the stage except for my slow die roll. Ah, uh, they, they hung you out to dry, literally. They, yeah. Bastards. Oh man. Yeah. So, but I loved improv because it, it seems like such a challenge to, to constantly be, at least the Herald, to constantly be creating some story that can be happy, sad, whatever. I love it when I see drama unfold mm-hmm. on an improvised stage. Like that's really cool. Like they I hold agree. to the drama, they hold to the higher stakes and it never gets funny unless mm-hmm. it's like a dark funny. Mm-hmm. Like those are interesting and that's a challenge. I don't know how you people do it. <laughs> you people. They yeah. were big on that at uh at UCB. I don't like to name, I'm name dropping. Mm. As I did, I took all my improv classes when I was in New York. So I went to Upright Citizens Brigade. And that really stuck out to me. That was one of the first things they ever talked about. And the thing that actually made me go, ooh, I like this, was that so many, so many people walk into an improv scene immediately thinking of how to make it funny and how to make it a joke. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not what we're here for. We're like here to create real people and make it honest. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be funny. And I, I remember seeing a couple of heralds that were downright sad. And they were some of the best things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't afraid there to, to lean into the drama. It was what, whatever was honestly coming from the scene. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's really important to remember. Um, that improv doesn't always have to. Now, if you're doing short form, that's different. But yeah. long form, you don't, it doesn't always have to be joke, joke, joke. Yeah. Um, people say follow the funny a lot, but I like I think you can follow the shiny thing, like follow the specific. Yeah. And if the specific is sad, then your improv gets sad. Mm-hmm. I think what audiences don't want to see, audiences are so much more perceptive than we give them credit for. And I think what audiences don't want to see is continuously passing by ideas so mm-hmm. you get to the one that you want. Mm-hmm. They pick up on that real fast. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I think that's the surest way to kill a scene is is no, I have this idea and I'm going to pit, I'm going to find a way to make this idea happen and I'm ignoring all of this other stuff my partner's giving me. That'll get you that's see lost no, real fast. No manifests itself on an improv stage in in the certain at least in some of the places I've been so often. And it's crazy cuz like I know what no sounds like cuz mm-hmm. I've taken some classes like a, a I'm not about to start my own troupe, but I I can I can hear when somebody goes like Nah, that's stupid, and and it shut and it's so funny because like the audience will like, yeah, because that is kind of stupid. But then you don't. Some of the audience mm-hmm. might not pick up on the fact that, well, whatever story was about to happen, they have to adjust to something new right mm-hmm. now because somebody didn't want to go down that road. They shut it down. Yeah. And it's so funny, like when somebody will come out and start an op, start something going, and then somebody comes out and will start doing something completely different, and without saying no with, an action or whatever. They just steer the story that was happening to theirs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, this... I feel like it's something I'm hyper aware of because when I was a new improviser, that was one of my biggest mm-hmm. was, you know, <laughs> sorry, my dog is now blocking the microphone. Um, when, when I was really new to it was, you know, I'm standing on the back line, like watching a scene going on. And in my mind, I'm like plotting out, okay, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be the mom they're talking out and I'm going to get the scene to go this way. Mm-hmm. And you walk out there and start being the mom, but before you can get it out, they've named you something else. But then I'm going, no, but I'm I'm your mom. Mm-hmm. And now I've killed the scene where I should have just mm-hmm. 
went with what they named me. Yes, I am. And Cheryl. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a big thing because because it is scary. Mm-hmm. And it, and in my mind, it made it a little less scary if I could. Well, if I can just plan some of it out, mm-hmm. it won't be as scary. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's not really improv. <laughs> well, what you're doing when you're improvising is creating like a slightly heightened version of reality mm-hmm. and finding those honest moments and those honest specific moments. And I think that the audience can tell when you're not honest. Yes. Like, have you read, anybody read Misery? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stephen, yeah. So when... That was my first Stephen King book. When finally. She, <laughs> when Annie Wilkes is talking about watching that serial and that person is stuck in the car going off the cliff. Yes. And she stands up and then she's all excited to see it the following week. And then he gets out the door and rolls out and saves himself. She was so mad. And she stands up and starts screaming, that's not how it happens, you dirty bird. Or <laughs> Call someone yeah. a dirty birdie yeah. because... And I feel like that, Annie Wilkes is all of our audience. <laughs> if, if I hand Lauren something and Lauren just sort of ignores it, like if she ignores the fake object I gave her, the audience goes, you're lying. Mm-hmm. And I find the same is also true in, in uh, scripted theater, that if you know we trip over our own feet entering a scene, oops, it happened. Yeah. If you ignore it, the audience is like, they're lying to me right mm-hmm. now. Like, Jess Robley dropped a cookie the other night in the show, in her electric baby. I was watching it because I understudy. And she dropped her cookie, and she was like, uh, picks, picks it back up, and is like, you eat one cookie before bed. You don't have to drop it. Don't drop it. I recommend <laughs> don't drop it. Then she covered it. She, she did it in her dialect. And bam. This audience was like, oh, good. But if she had nervously been like, I didn't drop the cookie. It's not mm. the cookie problem. Yeah. She, if we would have been disconnected from her. Yeah. But it's, that delighted everyone. Well, mm. I think that that's, that right there is a good, mm-hmm. good advocate for why actors sh- should take a little improv. I think... Um, I think maybe if actors free themselves mm-hmm. up a bit to not be so, because it really does help. Like if you're in a scene and you, you go up on a line, but mm-hmm. if you already have that part of your brain that's mm-hmm. like it's going to be okay and we're going to move on from this, that's really helpful. You give yourself permission to just have a little wiggle room. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're allowed to be a human being, and mm-hmm. some nights your show's going to be a little to the right, some night a little to the left, but. Yeah. And staying present. You're not going to see the actress behind you and fall into them. Yep, exactly. You're going to crush your scene partner and, and you'll move on. Yeah. And you'll never be on Broadway. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I don't care. On Broadway. I crushed her. I like the inflection. The Broadway. <laughs> How, I've talked to Lauren a little bit before. Tell me a little about your training, Jess. Well, I. I was a theater kid when I grew up. When I was growing up, I was a little, tiny, obnoxious, loud theater kid doing all the community plays and everything. And then my family moved in high school. And my brain was like, fuck, what? Don't do this. So I decided I had to be popular. So I didn't do any theater in high school. I was a cheerleader. Um, I was just a nightmare. And then uh, my senior year... My roommate, not my roommate, there, she would be my roommate in college later, but she was my ride to school, my neighbor, my friend, who was like, if you want to get a ride to school spring semester of our senior year, excuse me, fall semester of our senior year, you are going to take first period Shakespeare with me. So I had to go take that class, and it was taught by the theater teacher, and she was really interesting and awesome. So I was like, oh, I kind of like this, and I don't suck at it. And everybody was shocked that the cheerleader didn't suck at Shakespeare. <laughs> um, and then I was in a play in high school, and I was like, that's cool. And I went to CU Boulder and majored, uh, I was an open option major, mm-hmm. and I was a humanities major, and I was a history major, <laughs> and I was yeah. a everything except for theater, because my parents were like, mm, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. 
And then finally, at some point, I was like, fuck it. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to major in this. And then I was promptly not admitted to the BFA program <laughs> and tried again next year and got in. I think that's kind of sort of my trajectory as an actor is I typically get rejected a lot mm. and I'm plucky and persevere. <laughs> Just keep persevering. Um, Just so, white knuckle it to the yeah, opening night. That was me. <gasps> I will do this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I have a career because I just stuck it out at... Um, but yeah, so I went to CU Boulder, graduated there, finally got in the BFA and graduated. Mm. And the best education I got was my first show in Denver. Uh, I was cast in Last Night at Ballyhoo, directed by Terry Dodd, the late, great Terry Dodd. Rest and in peace, big ups. He was an incredible person mm. to experience my first show under. He was so kind. And Paul Page was in that Which show. Which theater was that? It was at? the Aurora Fox. Oh, right. Love yes. the Fox. It, no, there's no pictures there. There's a picture of me in the bathroom above the urinal I think at the Aurora Fox men's restroom there was that one on the wall of you in like a 1940s That's style yeah. costume I think so I think it, from last train in Nibrock it was a two-hander from the yes. 1940s yes that that's is me you. I'm awesome. above the urinal um, <laughs> people take pictures and send it to me and I'm not okay with that <laughs> yeah no I'm looking everybody at stop well, doing that no more I, of this she I, gets it I met her I met I met you once <laughs> I, I met her as if she's not in the room I met Jessica once <laughs> And then I was doing, in, at the same time, I was in rehearsals at the Fox. And, it, like, by the time we opened the show, I was like, wait a minute. I know her. I know the toilet lady now. I That's great. Now. Well, Jess and I take so many selfies together that I've had a lot of people in my life be like, I feel like I know this person. I've never mm-hmm. actually met her. Do you see her at the Fox? Or they'll meet her and be like, I met your <laughs> I met your improv partner, Jess. I knew it was her because of all the pictures you guys did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. I meet a lot of people who are like, hi, I know you through Lauren's Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Works for me. But anyway, pa- Paul Page was in that. Terry Dodd directed. Melissa McCarl assisted directed. Assistant directed. So there was this whole group of just incredible people on that show. Mm-hmm. And watching professional actors act was jaw-dropping. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, Paul Page played Uncle Adolf in that. And... Had I done that show in college, it would have been a 22-year-old in old age makeup trying to be an old Southern man. Mm. And Paul Page was mid-40s, and he was a middle-aged Southern man. I mean, mm. he's not Southern, but no. just watching him work made me a better actor. Yeah. And that was a gift. So that's sort of... And then I've and, just been a Denver. And then you came to improv a little later, though, right? Because I was actually... I remember when I mm-hmm. first... When we got put on the mod team together... Um, I assumed that you had been doing improv like forever, but I think you had just started. Not yeah, I I started. I got a little burned out on theater, and mm. because at some point people could have so much no power. Yeah. No, we're not casting you. No, we're not even going to call you back. Mm-hmm. No, we're not that you're not right for this. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it, sometimes the plays that were yesing me were plays I didn't want to do. That it became a paycheck or in health insurance weeks. Mm-hmm. And that kind of became depressing. And when I stumbled into improv, I was depressed and not wanting to do theater, but I still wanted to perform. So I was like, I'll, I'll try this out. And got put on the team at the Bovine by sheer luck and 
perseverance, I was like, I'll be the loudest. She's um, plucky. She's yeah. plucky. Chris Wolf put me on that team, actually. Oh, Chris Wolf. He sat in my audition and he was like, cast her. <laughs> she has no experience, cast her. Aww. So I owe him my whole career. <laughs> but it, it was a moment of, I need to take some agency. Mm-hmm. And doing improv for years and taking a long break from scripted stuff made me a different performer. It, it's really, it's like, feeling a little more Teflon. Like, hey, I have fucked up so badly on stage and in my life and in improv scenes that what possibly could go mm-hmm. worse? Mm-hmm. So, only, yeah, it's it gives you a bit of uh, invincibility, yet you know that you are very vulnerable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a journey. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. yeah. The yeah, more you know, you... star swipe. Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, no, we do hear no a lot. I mean, if we're we hear yes a lot too sometimes. Well, and You're I right. sometimes feel we have to swallow like some nonsense. The mm-hmm. really tough ones are when you have a really great yes year followed by a no year. Yeah, like a year where you've been really like doing a lot of projects you love, and mm-hmm. maybe there are the theaters now that like, oh, I don't even have to go audition anymore. They just call me in, totally. and and those are it's going really well. And then all of a sudden the next year comes, and you're not getting called to those same auditions yeah. for some reason. Yeah. And maybe there aren't any parts for you, and. That I, that I I feel like the roller coaster of being an actor is one of the hardest parts because I can handle the rejection in the mm-hmm. moment, but I think when you're feeling a lot of highs and then all of a sudden you get dropped back down into low territory, Absolutely. that's where it can get really difficult. Yeah, I, this 2017 was a great yes year, and then right in the middle of it, I had a a not so pleasant audition, which we've talked about on this podcast oh, before. Right. Yeah. Hashtag Froggy is not British. Fucking make fun of you. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> we've all been there. We've all been there. Sometimes dialects are hard Sometimes to know which one to do. Exactly. When oh. your when your scene partner tells you, "I love the choice you're making." Uh oh, you're gonna tell me the story again when we're off the mic. I can I can tell it to you now. Let's see our Vada Center last year. Oh we yeah. Passo, tearing it up big time. Yeah. Feeling like a rock boss. and roll. Uh-huh. And then I get invited straight to callbacks. I'm like, hey, yeah. yo, what's up, Hauser? You ain't got nothing on me. Here. <laughs> to be fair, John Hauser never has a nothing on nobody. <laughs> I love you, John. I love Hi, you John, so much. Love you. Hi, John. You're a turd, but I love you. Yeah, such a turd. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I feel really cocky. Uh-oh. I made this really great decision without looking at the play at all. Which one? Um, the Foreigner. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, and. It, it, it blew up out of my face and, and, and the gentleman directing stopped listening about two seconds in and started sending an email. And I left my cell phone in my car. So an hour after I had done that audition, I get to my car oh, and I see no. the text that tells me, Frog is British, dog. <laughs> Should have Googled that shit. Um, I think, I, I, know, was, I, think I, was, I know who directed that one. Yeah, and I was <laughs> mortified. I was mortified. Just like, oh, great. I'm not getting casted anything this year. And then when you, so like I had that moment, and then this has been a whole lot of no this year. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, is, it is frustrating. So you grab a microphone, Sam, and yep. you start talking to your friends mm-hmm. so you feel connected to the game. Hey, I'm not casting anything in 2018 so far, so... I hear you, man. Well, and Sam, I'm glad that you you did bring that story up because, uh, again, speaking of not casting anything, in a month I'm going to 
be fucking fighting for my same job I have right now. Yeah. As will we all. Yeah. Um, and people were, I want to say this out loud, on a podcast, because sometimes people have been snarky about the black box rep at Arvada. Yeah. About that pe- everyone is precast Mm-mm. and it's not a fighting chance. Mm. And I will tell you, I've been there for two years. I wasn't in the rep last year. You were in the rep last year. And both of us fought fucking tooth and nail for those spots. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't get that part because no, no one in that room when I auditioned knew who I was. Mm-hmm. I, I think I auditioned for Jeff, Jeffrey once, mm-hmm. and that was for She Kills Monsters. And I didn't have my best audition. And I was mm-hmm. clearly too old using a monologue for a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, I, I knew what was working against me mm-hmm. there. But when I came back in 2016 to audition, I called in sick the day of work when they had the callbacks. I had all my lines memorized. Mm-hmm. I had enough time to get them memorized. I fought like a mofo to get in there. Mm-hmm. And I will admit, I didn't fight that hard in round two. That's on me. But I got so much shit. I got called all the time. Oh, Mr. Arvada Center. <laughs> like... I'm doing one part the first time <laughs> in my career here. Mm-hmm. Like, I will kill to get back there. They're not gonna. They're, it's not like Lynn is like texting me, going like, "Oh, I should have put you in this." <laughs> no one's giving me like, "Hey, Archer. prepare this." Archer, it's your moment. Yeah, Archer. there's there's no secret handshake. Yeah. Everybody who is has been there for the past two years has fought their faces off, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everyone who will be there in the next couple of years will fight their faces off to get there. Mm-hmm. I uh, I joke that my resume must look like people use me once then kick me out because if you look at mine like every show I've done has been at a different theater and that's not on purpose <laughs> but it's true I'm just working my way around town mm-hmm. um, you gotta just do it you, you have gotta, to you show up and do your but that's actually mm-hmm. something that I enjoy about being in Denver now mm-hmm. that I've done the whole big city mm-hmm. thing um, I like that I get feedback here. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I feel like I still have to fight for parts, even though it's you know people are like it's just Denver, whatever. I'm like, no, there are a lot of quality people here who want to do quality work, mm-hmm. and um, I felt like I got to a point in New York where you just you just stop hearing, you don't hear anything, good or bad. Yeah. And I got to a point there my last couple of years where I'm like, I don't even know where I am as an actress anymore. Like, I don't know how I'm doing because nobody ever tells yeah. me. I don't know mm-hmm. like. So I, I will say that I kind of enjoy that about Denver, the the feedback, um, and I feel like people call you in because they want to see you. Yeah. Like I don't, I oh, don't know. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you, it, the community is big enough, but also small enough that there's I find a lot of respect that once you've earned that respect, mm-hmm. like you, like, as long as you're not a douchebag about it. You mm-hmm. maintain it, and they will they will tell you why you didn't get cast. I auditioned recently for a show and was told, even before I showed up, we're not really considering you, but I want you to read <laughs> from the off chance that you knock my socks off. Mm-hmm. And so there's a part of me that's like, well, then why am I wasting the gas? Right. But then there's another part of me that's like, show up. Just be prepared and knock his socks off. Mm-hmm. Feel good about the audition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you If you give a fuck and you do your homework, and you're not a douchebag all the time, you'll get your opportunities. But you gotta come prepared. You mm-hmm. gotta come prepared. You gotta Google that shit. <laughs> dog. You gotta Google that shit, dog. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Well, that's all. Let's all strive to keep um, 
not being assholes. Keep not being assholes. And give a fuck. Yeah, try not to be assholes. (laughs) And uh, eat more bed pizza. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to have to have pizza tonight. Yeah, it's got to happen. Yeah, make it happen. You guys want to order a pizza? Um, I'm down. Cool. Great. How many beds do you have? Uh, got, two. Yeah, that one. And uh, these, this couch, uh, both sides pop out. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah you so can lay can down each, flat. We can each uh, have our own bed and our own bed pizza. Mm-hmm. Sounds nice. Uh, yep. But there's only two TVs, yes, that one. Mm. Oh, no, there, there's a tiny one in there, too. <laughs> oh, there's a tiny one in there? Tiny TV. Tiny TV. Tiny TV. Tiny TV. <laughs> That's a great English... Like homeless kid. Well, character. just making me think of Tiny Teddy. Tiny Teddy from Are you another Arrested Development. I I have watched some of it. Yes. Um, have you ever seen uh Charlize Theron's track on that show? Cause damn. No. You think? Ooh. Get, get yourself season into three. season three. Okay. Next time you're bed pizzaing. Mm-hmm. Bed pizza. And don't get judgy, cause at first you get judgy about Charlize, and you're like, why is she on the show doing that terrible British accent? Boo. No. Mm-hmm. No. You will find out There's why, a reason. and you'll be really excited. It's delightful. But she has a whole bit about her tiny Teddy. <laughs> I yeah. love Charlize. I'll listen I to I just her watched Atomic anything. Blonde the other day for no reason. Is it, good? it just it was fine. Okay. She's such a badass no yeah. matter what. Mm-hmm. It had just started on HBO and Kevin and I were like, Yeah, I wanna watch this? Sure. Um it it's... was alright, but she she's kick ass. There's this one fight scene later on in the movie that holy shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I I worry though that she's a great she's a great actress that's going on that Denzel Washington Liam Neeson tip. <laughs> Like we're just gonna put you in action movies now. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. But you're—I mean—we're gonna give you average to decent scripts, and then you'll have to make it live, like The Equalizer. I Ooh. love that movie, but it's only because of Denzel. Oh, mm. I didn't and then see that you one. watch the Taken trilogy, mainly because it's Liam Neeson shooting people indiscriminately. Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. He was Oscar Sorry, Schindler, was key, key and, and now he'll shoot pregnant women. Ooh. Without hesitation. Oh, Liam. Oh, Liam. Oh, how Liam. far are you fallen? Oh, yes. Remember when he was Jean Valjean in that shitty movie? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's a really shitty movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to bring this all back to Les Mis. So, we wrapped it back. That's what we do in improv. My goal. You bring it on back around. Boom. It's all circle. Done. Circular. Time is a flat circle. It's a flat circle. So, Lauren, <laughs> yes. what are you going to do by the end of the summer? Uh, read Les Mis, Rob. Yay! Yay! <laughs> are we going to read by the end of Christmas? Lonesome Dove. Oh, okay. Yay! Yes. Yay! Yay! Who's going to be our friend? Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder is going to be our friend, <laughs> goddammit. And hey, if you want to, um, I'm going to shamelessly plug. Uh, if you want to, If you want to check out Jess and I on our podcast, it's Required Readcast. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at REQ Readcast. And then we're on, we're hosted by Podbean, but we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that stuff. Yeah. I think Spotify start. Did you know Spotify oh, yeah. starting to publish podcasts? I heard. And I Get got, on board. Wesley yelled at me for not being on Spotify. Wesley yeah. Reeves. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to, how did, how, well, we'll have to talk off air. Yeah. So I can figure out how to do that shit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so you, and you can like our Facebook page and we also have a boss Facebook page. Yes, you do. We have so many Facebook pages. Sometimes we do. Right. So sometimes when we get to do the improvs, you could come see us. Mm-hmm. And if you just happen to find yourself at the, at a deer pile, you might get lucky. Oh yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Around the seven percent of the battery power. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is Sam. This is the Ghost Lights Podcast. Our amazing guests, Boss Lauren and Jessica. Please check them out. Required Recast is their podcast. Their improv team, Boss Sense and Sensibility at the Arvada. Yeah, Center. she's in all my sons too. And all my sons. Barely. That's right. I'm coming on. I'm going to come see it at the end of their run. So I hope you do too. Sweet. Get them tickets. And once again, folks, this has been the Ghost Lights Podcast, the Spring Break Bonanza.
Third let's, time's a charm. Let's all order a pizza. Let's all order pet pizzas. Sweet.